And the sad part about it is, she was beautiful. She was tall. She could have been a model. She could have been anything. Black, set black hair. Gorgeous. She always wore her makeup was always perfect. I mean, she really looked really nice. She was a nice looking lady. Welcome back to South Carolina Murder Mondays with your host, Nicole Simmons. Suzanne Kipper Longlegs Owens was a beautiful lady with a serious problem. She has been described in many words, such as a slut, bitch, conniving, and conspiratorial. Here is Sled Agent Hook describing Suzanne. Gorgeous, beautiful, tall, slim, blackhead, gorgeous woman, really pretty. And um, for, but she just was the most conniving, conspiratorial person I've ever met. Agent Hook worked alongside John Owens throughout the case and trial, and learned a lot about Suzanne, and had to work hard at getting John to understand what kind of person she was. She had him brainwashed. It was after a very long eight hours that the agents finally felt they got through to him. It took us so long to get John to understand that he was not legally married to her. When we went to, when he was incarcerated in Williamsburg County Jail when they first arrested him, we, me and Tom Henderson and Ben Thomas went to Williamsburg County to interview him. And I wasn't interviewing him, I was taking notes. I had to take shorthand and just, you know, take down whatever he said. And um, eight hours we sat there in that jail with him, talking to him, trying to convince him and to understand that he was not married to her. Their marriage was illegal. She never divorced her first husband in Tennessee, and she has a daughter. But see, what she was doing was she was married to John, supposedly, screwing around with Silas Yates. That's the kind of vindictive person she was. She started bitching about something. I said, Suzanne, look, I know about you from the day you were born. Would you let me tell you about you? Tell you your life story? Let me tell you your life story. And I just started rattling off all this stuff. She goes, how do you know all that stuff? I said, it's my job to know. And I said, you don't feel, you're not fooling anybody at all. Agent Hook was in charge of transporting Suzanne Owens on multiple occasions, and she said she was a huge complainer. She had convinced herself that she didn't deserve to be in jail, but clearly it's where she belonged. We had to take her, had to go to the prison system, pick her up. She come walking out with a suitcase, had on coat with a fur collar. I pulled out my handcuffs to put on her. She goes, I don't believe it. I said, look, you are a number. You mean zero to me. Put your damn hands out. Got him on her, put her in the car. She started bitching. I just can't believe this. I don't get any sunlight or nothing. I'm getting this rash all over me. I said, uh, excuse me? I don't want to hear it. You're a number. You're not a person. You're a number. This is before she escaped. But she thought she was supposed to be in a, you know, treated just like whatever. I always wondered how Suzanne Owens got her name Longlegs. And here it is. That name about long legs on me. I said, I, No, the state did not. That little short off son of a bitch you're on trial with is what called, called you long legs. 
the newspaper picked it up. I said, that's where it came from. The man you paid money to to kill somebody, he's the one that named you that. So Pee Wee named her Yes, Longlegs. he's the one that named her Longlegs. John Owen served a few years behind bars. He was a great man and never caused any trouble. He went on to work with SLED and training the dogs while finishing out his time in the prison. He went on to live a good life. I was very proud of John. He, he did well on the stand. He got 10 years. I think he had to serve a year in prison. I can't remember. But they brought him to SLED and he worked with the SLED dogs for the rest of his time. He served, and he come walking in my office one day, and I just about flipped out. He come with, he says, I just had to come hug your neck, thank you, thank you. I said, well, make something of yourself. Do something right. And I understand, I never saw him after that, but I understand he later on got married, had a couple kids, and did well. You know, not rich, but he did well. He never got any more trouble. But he was very easygoing, quiet. She had him by the, the part of my friends, by the balls. I mean, she really did. That's the kind of person she was. Mm -hmm. She was very, um, I don't know how you explain it, but she was, she was, I call her Black Widow myself. Basically. We have established Gaskins was a bad person. He would kill you if you didn't believe like him. He was prejudiced, and he killed 23-year-old Doreen Dempsey and her two-year-old daughter, Michelle Dempsey, in June of 1973. Doreen had a biracial child and was pregnant again by the same black man, and Pee-wee didn't like it, so he just took them out. Pee-wee stated on the stand that he carried pregnant Doreen out to the pond beside the storehouse and held her head underwater until she drowned. Then he carried Doreen's body and placed it in the back of his black hearse. I don't see how this small man did this myself and was actually capable of all that he did. He then returned to the storehouse to get two-year-old Robin Michelle Dempsey. He took her to the pond beside a large pine tree and held her head underwater till she stopped struggling. After placing Robin's small, limp body in the back of the hearse, Pee-wee drove off and headed to Alligator Landing on Lich's River. He stopped his hearse near an old sawdust pile and removed the bodies from the hearse. Gaskins buried Doreen Dempsey's body in a shallow hole, about one foot deep, covering it mostly with sawdust and plastic garbage bags. Then Pee-wee removed Robin's small body from the hearse and stuffed the child's body into an open stump hole, covering her body with a thin layer of dirt. When, when a child, a young child like that is just brutally murdered, and you know there's one out there missing, you're going to go nuts till you find her. And to find her dead, too, was just horrible. It was awful. Those kind of things stay with you forever. You know, they really do. Today, as I rode out to the pond where Doreen Dempsey and her child were drowned by Pee Wee, it was so sad. I took a moment of silence for them and I prayed for their families to have some peace. 
I'm baffled that this pond is literally 25 yards at the most from the road. He clearly was never afraid of being seen. I also went by the old home place site today. The house where Pee Wee grew up was next door to Mary Alice's home. Right behind those two houses is where he hit her over the head with a hatchet and left her for dead in a ditch. Remember now, she lived. She could tell her story. There are stories that she made fun of him and pissed him off, but family says she was just one of his victims. He raped her and tried to kill her. Pee-wee was just tired of getting caught, so he decided not to let anyone live after he raped them. Family says they never saw any harmful lasting effects from the blow to the head, and she lived a great life. Here is Pee-wee himself describing his childhood while in his final truth interview on death row with Wilton Earl. Ever since I can remember, my mother lived with her mother and daddy. There was 13 in the family, eight boys and five girls. Then my mother had uh, this little boy named Bernice who died. Then Marvin, myself, and Perry Inez. Uh, and we all lived there also. So that was... Uh, about 16 that was living there in one house. But I was the one who the older ones picked on and I was kicked around all the time too. And uh, at nights, they would make me take a big old wooden foot to fill it with water and I had to wash everybody's feet thorough. And if I did anything that any of my uncles or aunts didn't like, they would take a hedge bush switch or a pear tree sprout or an apple tree sprout. As long as it was a good switching, they'd tear my back and legs up. It'd be red stripes all over my body and legs. And if my sister told them I had done anything, no matter uh, if I had or I had not, they'd be hell out of me. And I'd go around the house uh, at the corner and start to cry. And, uh, and to rub these uh, big red welts on me. She'd come around where I was at, and she'd tell me, goody, 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 and, uh, and most of the time, I'd slap hell out of her for doing that. And I knew that when I did it, they was going to beat me again. And even even if I didn't do it, a lot of times she'd run in the house uh, making like she was crying, and she'd tell my mother that I had slapped her, I'd beat her, and they'd come out there and you know, beat me till I couldn't hardly get up. I had real well told my time, back and everything. And uh, that's the kind of treatment I was got as a childhood. If you've never heard it, yep, that's it. Pee-wee's voice. Like I told you before, such a small man with a squeaky voice. I just don't trust that it was all true, though. In my last episode, we talked about the neck. Today, as I was taken through there, it was a lot different from Pee Wee's time. All of the old bars no longer stand. It's just a road of families in poverty. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Murder Mondays with me, your host, Nicole. As I'm traveling and interviewing for these cases, I am doing my best to bring you new info as well. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Donations for travel and research can be made via Venmo to Nicole Simmons 87. Thanks 
and I'll catch y'all next week with a new episode.